0: closing uh, keynote speaker, the Honorable Jim Sensenbrenner uh, from the 5th Congressional District of Wisconsin. Um, congressman Sensenbrenner uh, prides himself uh, as uh, one of the authors of the Patriot Act, his uh, former uh, role as a House Judiciary Chair. Uh, certainly, I had the uh, signally uncomfortable experience of being across, uh, across a uh, witness table from the congressman um, on the subject of the Patriot Act a couple of years ago. Uh, And uh, objected. I think that 215 and various other authorities uh, were uh, liable to misuse. Uh, uh, Do not get in an argument with Jim Sensenbrenner. He will. uh, He will win. Um, (laughs) But I'm really pleased to say that uh, over time, he does seem to have uh, taken a different view. To have seen that there are uh, risks to uh, civil liberties in the current structure of the law, that there is potential for invasion of the privacy of ordinary Americans, um, you know, potentially leading to the sort of abuses we saw in the 1960s and 1970s. And so uh, Jim Sensenbrenner, the, the proud uh, co-author of the Patriot Act, has also become one of the fiercest critics of the way the National Security Agency and FBI have used that authority in ways that Congress did not intend. Uh, and is going to be championing legislation to uh, reform the law to ensure that uh, the agencies have the tools they need to pursue uh, terrorists and spies without endangering American civil liberties.
1: Uh, Thank you very much, Julian, uh, for that introduction. I'm going to make one correction, and that is, is that my view of the Patriot Act hasn't changed. Uh, what has changed is what it, two administrations, Bush 43 and the Obama administration, have done after I left office as chairman of the Judiciary Committee and did not have my tart oversight pen to send uh, uh, oversight letters that usually were co-signed by Congressman Conyers, then the ranking member, uh, to the Justice Department. and specifically acting like a crabby old professor when they were non-responsive in their answers and we sent it back and said, okay, we've got an incomplete, before you get your grade on that, you're going to have to answer the questions that we asked, not the questions or the answers that you wanted to give. I want to thank the Cato Institute for inviting me here today. I was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, (coughs) excuse me, when our country was attacked on September 11th. Five days after the attack <coughs> excuse me, the Justice Department delivered its proposal for new legislation. Although I, along with every other American, knew we had to strengthen our ability to combat those targeting our country, the Department's version went far too far. I believe then and now that we can defend our country and our liberty at the same time. I called then House Speaker Dennis Hastert and asked him <coughs> "Excuse me, for time to redraft the legislation. I told the Speaker that if the legislation moved as drafted, I would not only vote against it, but I would actively oppose it. The country wanted action and the White House was pressuring us to move its bill. To his credit, Speaker Hastert promised us more time. There were endless meetings and nonstop negotiations with the White House, the FBI, and the intelligence community. The question we grappled with could not have been more fundamental. How could we defend our liberty and protect the American people at the same time? The final draft in the House Judiciary Committee was bipartisan and passed the committee unanimously, with Bob Barr on the right and Maxine Waters on the left and everybody else voting in favor of it. Since the 2006 reauthorization, Section 215 of the Patriot Act allows for the collection of certain business records when there are reasonable grounds to believe that the records are relevant to an authorized investigation. The target could not be a U.S. person defined as either a citizen or a green card holder. The legal term is relevance. A similar relevance standard is repeated in other intelligence gathering authorities such as Title IV of FISA and the National Security Letter statutes. Under this standard, the administration has collected the details of every call made by every American. The logic it uses to support bulk collection of phone records would also support the bulk collection of other records, raising the question, what other records is the administration collecting in bulk? And just how deeply is the government intruding into our daily lives? Since first learning of this program this spring, I have been a vocal critic of dragnet collection as a gross invasion of privacy and a violation of the relevant standard in law. The phone records of innocent Americans do not relate to terrorism whatsoever, and they are not reasonably likely to lead to information that relates to terrorism. Put simply, the phone calls we make to our friends, our families, and business associates are private, and have nothing to do with terrorism or the government's efforts to stop it. The arguments to the contrary are not compelling. As the administration explains it, all of our phone records are relevant because the connections between individual data points are of potential value. But these private collections are only of value if they in some way relate to terrorism. To the extent that they don't, the government has no right to collect them. The government claims it needs the haystack to find the needle. But gathering the haystack and making it larger without knowledge that it contains the needle is precisely what the relevant standard was supposed to prevent. In my three and a half decades in Congress, I have been engaged in countless debates about what threshold the government should have to meet to access private information. These debates have happened in both the criminal and national security contexts but today's debate is distantly removed from those discussions. The administration essentially believes that there is no threshold at all. This is something that Congress never would have authorized, and since the administration has assumed this authority, Congress should not hesitate to stop it, and stop it quickly. While I recognize that we're in the middle of a bitter partisan battle over government funding, such as Obamacare and the debt limit, I am confident that we can find a broad and bipartisan solution. In the next few days, Senator Leahy, Ranking Member Conyers, and I, along with other members who are passionate about civil liberties, plan to introduce the, quote, the uniting and strengthening America by fulfilling rights and ending eavesdropping dragnet collection and online monitoring act which will be better known as the USA Freedom Act. (laughs) This comprehensive legislation will end the bulk collection of Americans' communications records by adopting a uniform standard for intelligence gathering under Section 215 of the Patriot Act. Let me make it quite clear, it ends the NSA's ability to collect what they call a metadata program. Title IV of FISA and each of the national security letters would also be amended. The bill would protect uh, Americans by tightening Section 702 of FISA as well. The administration has proven, beyond a reasonable doubt in my opinion, that any standard can be abused, so it is also critical that we increase transparency. We don't need to have an Edward Snowden to let us know what is going on there. We need more transparency and there's a way to do it. The USA Freedom Act builds on the work of Senator Blumenthal and creates an Office of Special Advocate, or OSA, tasked with promoting privacy interest before the FISA court's closed proceedings, throwing the rubber stamp the FISA court has given to what the NSA and the Justice Department have requested into the trash heap of history. This bill also creates new and more robust reporting requirements to ensure that Congress is aware of actions by the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court and the intelligence community and grants the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board subpoena authority to investigate issues related to privacy and national security. While the targets of terrorist investigations need to remain classified, changes in the law need to be open to public debate. The USA Freedom Act requires the Attorney General to publicly disclose FISC decisions that contain significant construction or interpretation of law. Secret laws are an anathema to democracy, and this bill will end secret laws. Finally, the bill gives important protections to companies that are subject to FISA orders. Currently, companies who work with the government are forced to cooperate under an umbrella of secrecy, but this bill would allow Internet and telecom companies, at their discretion, to publicly report an estimate of 1 the number of FISA orders and national security letters received, 2 the number of such orders and letters complied with, and 3 the number of users or account on whom information was demanded. We must strike the proper balance between national security and privacy, as our liberties are secure only as long as we are prepared to defend them. Investigators should have to demonstrate to an independent authority that they're on the right track. I would give each of those investigators a pocket copy of the U.S. Constitution, which the Congress publishes in great quantity, and they usually end up being given to high school classes. I think that these investigators to get some of our copies if they don't get them from their own agency. And this is not just essential from a privacy perspective, but also from an efficiency uh, perspective. The NSA has failed to follow up on leads that could have stopped the Boston Marathon bombing while it instead combed through records of innocent Americans. Analysts should spend their time and limited resources pursuing actual leads. The intelligence agencies have not only lost the faith of lawmakers and the public regarding privacy protections, but also regarding their ability to effectively do their jobs. And to anybody who says, I have nothing to hide, why should I care if the government reads my email? You don't have to be a victim of discrimination to want to protect those in society who are. At the same time as I'm working to reform the NSA, I've been a vocal proponent of the Voting Rights Act. I support the VRA not because voter discrimination affects everyone, but because it affects some people, and we ought to give those protections to the some people that it needs to protect. America is the paragon of democracy, and because we protect the civil liberties and equality of everyone, encroachment on the rights of a few hurts us all. I call on the President my colleagues in Congress to rally around the USA Freedom Act to protect the shared rights of all Americans and to restore the trust and focus in our intelligence communities, which they have lost all by themselves. So thank you very much for having me here. Uh, Because of votes, I had to come here a little bit later, and I do have an appointment uh, back on the Hill at uh, 4.45, so I've got to be out of here and in the car by 4.25, and I will be happy to spend the next uh, 10 minutes answering any questions that you may have, and would you please state your name and state your affiliation when you wish to ask a question. And you'll be the one who calls on it, Matt, way, you're the bad guy, because I don't want to be the bad guy around here anymore.
2: (laughs) Thank Um, you. And wait wait for the... I saw a question around the aisle right here. Wait for the microphone. Uh, Yes,
0: thank you, Congressman. I know you're busy today. Um, I'm Tom and I'm a reporter with U.S. News and World Report. Uh, Chairman Mike Rogers is working on his own legislative uh, package to reform the NSA, and he's also one of the votes against the Amash Amendment in June that would have also ended the bulk collection of metadata and phone records. Have you spoken with him, or do you have uh, colleagues in the House that you would uh, work with to prevent another defeat like the Amash Amendment?
1: Well, uh, since the Amash Amendment only lost by seven votes... Uh, Mr. Rogers has been in a case of great distemper. I think that's probably the best way I, I, I can describe it. Uh, uh, no, I haven't spoken to him, uh, but he, uh, from what I understand, he did get a National Review Online article that uh, personally attacked me rather than talking about the issues, and the author he had didn't know anything about this issue. Uh, and then he put it up on his website. Well I complained about that saying, you know, colleagues shouldn't uh, call each other by name. Uh, but there are other members who have expressed sympathy to the approach that I am using to change the basic law in the Patriot Act and also in the FISA statute. Uh, and the Amash Amendment had it passed and I spoke in favor of it and wished it had passed would only have lasted a year because it was an amendment on an appropriations bill. My bill, with Senator Leahy and Congressman Conyers, uh, will change the permanent underlying law on this, so we would not have to go to this fight for this fight on a year-to-year basis. Uh, I think the bill that Mr. Rogers and Senator Feinstein uh, are busy working on as a way To uh, provide a fig leaf for the intelligence community to do what it uh, wants to continue to do. I think he has plugged the leaf or plucked the leaf off the fig tree far too soon, and it will be far too small of a fig leaf. What I'm saying is, we're going to have to beat him on the floor, and we're going to do it.
2: A couple, couple rows back from the prior questioner, one row back.
0: Thank you, Congressman. My name is H.P. Schijnemachers from the Netherlands Embassy. Uh, As a former uh, high school student in the 7th District in Wisconsin, I appreciate your concerns for the uh, freedom of American citizens. You might be aware that there are some concerns as well uh, in Europe about the NSA program. So I was wondering whether your legislation does address that issue as well. And if not, if we could work together to make it a U.S. and allies, a USA Allies Freedom Act.
1: Well... (laughs) Uh, you know, let, let let me say I would hope so. I, I think that the, the bottom line is the prohibition of the collection of metadata. Now, if there is a real uh, uh, a confirmed conspiracy uh, that involves Europe, and even if it uh, involves only Europe and exclusively Europe, and we pick up some information uh, through the revised, uh, 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 Patriot Act and the revised FISA Act. I think the cooperation between the intelligence communities and law enforcement is such that we would be able to pass that information out. Now just for the record I've been invited to speak uh, to a European Union Forum in Brussels uh, that happens to be on Veterans Day so I guess Belgium is not closed down like the UK and France are on um, November 11th and uh, we're trying to work out the logistics involved but I fully intend, if possible, uh, to make uh, that uh, uh, invitation uh, and to talk not only in a forum like this one but in a Q&A session as well as internally that, uh, uh, you know, it is my hope that uh, this will uh, take away the tools for the NSA not only to spy on Americans that have no relation to terrorist activity at all but also to spy on European officials, which uh, uh, has come out in the press since uh, all of this controversy started. So, you know, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, uh, If there are further ideas that uh, the Europeans that I chat with uh, have for amending the bill uh, so that we can continue the intelligence sharing where there is a genuine threat uh, of a terrorist strike occurring uh, uh, in Europe, Uh, uh, but uh, prevent indiscriminate spying, uh, including uh, on government officials all the way to the top, if the press reports are correct, uh, uh, then I would be for such an amendment. So, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, this is a work in progress. Uh, Bart Forsyth, who is my Chief of Staff and Counsel, has been working both with Senator Leahy's staff and Congressman Conyers' staff and we think we have got the bugs out of this uh, legislation. Uh, uh, we, we didn't when Senator Wyden picked up a discussion draft and introduced it. This, our bill is better than his because uh, there are a couple of loopholes that we didn't catch. Uh, how about one more and then I've got to go back to the Hill.
2: Up on the, on the aisle there, gentleman with the red tie.
0: Uh, thank you. Stephen Keat, uh, private citizen, but retired State Department. Uh, you expressed confidence that your bill would pass in the Congress. If it passes both, both houses and goes to the president and he vetoes it, are you confident that you'd be able to override the veto?
1: No, but then the fact that the metadata uh, would continue will fall directly on the president's shoulders. And he better explain this in a little bit Greater detail than the sound bites that we've been hearing from him as well as Speaker Boehner in the last week or so. Thank you.
2: Some brief closing remarks. First, I want to thank the Cato Conference staff, the Cato Audiovisual staff. Uh, They work very, very hard to make these events successful, and they've done wonderful work today. Uh, I certainly want to thank my colleague, Julian Sanchez, all the participants in all the panels today. Um, I want to thank you for attending, you for watching online, and you who support the Cato Institute. You allow us to put these events on so that these discussions can continue. There are a couple of issues that underlie most of what we talked about today. Certainly, they're not the only issues that are underlie, but I want to emphasize them, hold them up, and bring them out so that you can be thinking them about, about them uh, as you go forward. One is secrecy. Uh, the, the laugh lines that David Lieber unfortunately delivered, not being able legally to talk about what his company has to do, are good evidence of the fact that, that secrecy law and practice in the United States is broken. Secrecy is a very strange thing. It's a claim to unique authority. Someone who has secret information uh, can lord it over others, lord it over people in Congress, uh, other people in the administration, and people participating throughout the democratic process. The intel community uses secrecy uh, to increase its authority. Sometimes secrecy is appropriate. Sometimes secrecy is right. But when the community that provides all the information about the threat is also the same, the very same community is there to provide the response to the threat, you can see how the dynamic, the dynamic that produces, that that community will grow. And I believe the intel community uses secrecy not on purpose, but because of ordinary institutional influences to grow its authority, to shrink freedom. I recommend to everybody the book by Daniel Patrick Moynihan, former senator from New York, secrecy, the American experience. It's either in the, in the book itself or in the, uh, the uh, opening uh, section of the book, the line, the line goes, secrecy is for losers. It really, really is a detriment to our ability as a democracy to make decisions, especially about security. Secrecy is a tactical weakness as well. We learned through WikiLeaks, that an organization, it could be a military organization, it could be a private sector organization, that relies too heavily on secrecy is making itself weak. So to the intel community and anyone else who considers secrecy a high value, you are doing it wrong. We wanted to think big about reform, and I think you saw that on the reform panel. Certainly there are important <laughs> legal, legal changes that we'll see introduced and considered and maybe passed but we need to think very big about reform. FISA was passed during the Cold War when the opponent to American power, the chief opponent to American power, was the Soviet Union. And what it threatened was nuclear annihilation. Perhaps the secrecy regime that we put in place then with the Soviet Union in mind, and that threat was appropriate. Today we certainly have sophisticated adversaries but the risk to the United States, the threat to the United States, is quite a bit smaller than it was when FISA was passed. Why do we even have a FISA law? Aren't there ways that ordinary courts can handle secret information? Let's think big about reform. Along with secrecy, we should all understand terrorism better. I'm sorry, a dozen years later, to still be talking about terrorism, and it's, been, it's not been the dozen years I wish I would have had since September 11th, 2001. In 2009 and 2010, here at Cato, we hosted conferences of drawing experts from around the world on terrorism and counterterrorism. We produced a book called Terrorizing Ourselves, all to educate ourselves and hopefully you about terrorism, its logic, how it works, and how to defeat it. It's a very interesting and complex problem. I'll recommend to you not only Terrorizing Ourselves, but the book Thinking Like a Terrorist by Michael German from the ACLU. I think about these problems in terms of terror politics. Sometimes driven by the intel community, politicians and the media in our open society drive fear. They push fear. If it bleeds, it leads. No politician ever got political credit for downplaying a risk. Few did. John Mueller has, can actually uh, cite to examples where politicians have at least not, not been harmed by downplaying risk. But as a general matter, Politicians always try to outbid each other in how dangerous this world is and how fearful we should be. Those dynamics, the dynamics of terror politics and the dynamics around secrecy, I'm sorry to say, are not fixed by conferences even as good as this one. So let's all have some wine and cheese and <laughs> contemplate these ideas. Thank you very much for coming. Thanks, you all.